Welcome to Forging Plowshares. We hope you enjoy this conversation and are challenged by it. Please stay tuned at the end of the podcast for a short message about our ministry. With the storming of the Capitol building, I think it's clear that we've reached the end of a kind of naive era in the United States, uh, maybe a decades-long linking of evangelical religion to nationalism. And the events of the past week have exposed the underbelly of this religion, which has shown it, I think, to be antithetical to the teachings of Christ. And so the president's deployment of his Christian base and the fact that it serves his strategy, I think that it indicates the shape of the religion, a religion that would serve these causes. And it's a kind of blasphemous implication of the Prince of Peace in violent nationalism. Paul in the New Testament depict two possibilities for humankind. We can live under the reign of death, where violence and death are the orienting and determining factor, or we can live under the reign of life, resurrection life, and that's what Paul is describing here in 2 Corinthians. That death is overturned, and not just in the future, but in an immediate sense that death is no longer the orientation of our life. I believe there's no question now that a false gospel reigns in this country in place of what Paul's gospel is depicting in which the reign of death is defeated through resurrection life. Let's read together then. Look at 2 Corinthians 4 beginning down at verse 10. And if you'll hold chapter 4 open, I'll refer to other places. Beginning with verse 10, we always carry around in our body the death of Jesus, so that the life of Jesus may also be revealed in our body. For we who are alive are always being given over to death for Jesus' sake, so that his life may also be revealed in our mortal body. So then death is at work in us, but life is at work in you. It is written, I believed, therefore I have spoken. Since we have that same spirit of faith, we also believe and therefore speak. Because we know that one who raised the Lord Jesus from the dead will also raise us with Jesus and present us with you to himself. Now throughout this passage, Paul is referencing Psalms 116. I just want to read a little bit from the psalm so you can get a feel for what he's describing there. The two passages, I think, get at the idea of the reign of life or the reign of death. And this is from Psalms 116. The cords of death encompassed me. And the terrors of Sheol came upon me. I found distress and sorrow. Then I called upon the name of the Lord. O Lord, I beseech you, save my life. I was brought low, and he saved me. 
For you have rescued my soul from death, my eyes from tears, my feet from stumbling. And so Paul is referencing the psalm. He says, I'm speaking from a new place. We also believed. You know, this is the direct quote. And therefore we speak. We have a new word from God. And we know that the one who raised Jesus from the dead will raise us. And this gives us this new word. This rescue from death, it's now. It's here and now. Certainly it has a future implication, but we can live differently now. He says in verse 8, We are hard-pressed on every side, but not crushed. We're perplexed, but we're not in despair. We're persecuted but not abandoned. We're struck down, but not destroyed. And then the verse, you know, we always carry around in our body the death of Jesus. And he's saying we do this, we're doing this on your behalf, that we experience this, that you might experience the life of Jesus, that his life might be revealed in us. If we had to sum up the events of this new year, I think what has been exposed in the political and religious situation, death reigns politically, religiously. Death reigns not just in the physical plague, the COVID-19, but the spiritual plague that has this country and its religion in its grip. And we need to ask, how has a religion about resurrection life, about confronting death and violence, how has it been subverted? I don't know if you noticed the people storming the Capitol. Somebody in that crowd took the time to put up a sign, Jesus. They're doing it in the name of Jesus. And they've transformed, I think, what we call Christianity into something that no longer resembles the religion of the New Testament. The religion has been turned inside out along with the nation state. And it's set to destroy, I think, what it is meant to protect and uphold. In other words, the deployment of the religion in support of the nation state, it's imploding. The attachment to the cult of personality, the commitment to consumerism over principle and ethics. I could be describing either the state or the church because that describes both. It is as if the worst elements of the religion have come to a head in this political period. And the religion connected to the political right has been exposed for a kind of misshapen anti-Christianity that it truly is. And so the lawlessness of the rioters breaking in to the capital, it didn't arise in a vacuum. We all know that. They were clearly egged on by the president but of course we know the president was egged on by his religious supporters and advisors and the parallel between what's happening here and what happened in Germany to German Christians with the rise of Adolf Hitler the escapism the going to heaven when you die the otherworldly nature of the American faith it allows death and alienation to reign here upon the earth. Same thing happened in Germany. And this was articulated maybe by some, we would call him the greatest philosopher. He was actually trained 
by the Jesuits. He was going to be a priest, so he's kind of a philosopher theologian. His name was Martin Heidegger. And Heidegger was the premier philosopher, some would say, of the 20th century. But he might as well have been declared the official Nazi theologian. I think he articulates the problem that we face. And he uses the language and ideas of the New Testament, but he's going to twist it. He's going to really negate the religion. And this negative Christianity, it's describing the reign of death in place of resurrection life. Either life and the principles of life, or the principles of death reign. Paul is saying life reigns through Christ. If death reigns, then we deal in the strategies of death. And this is Heidegger. He concludes that death is the main thing. Mortals are they who can experience death as death. Animals cannot do so. But animals cannot speak either. The essential relation between death and language flashes up before us. He's linking language and death. It's a very Christian idea. But of course, Heidegger is turning it inside out. Death is the singular human experience that determines who and what we are. What happens when Christianity fails? In the absence of Christianity, this is what the world is like. Paul and Heidegger agree, death reigns unless it's challenged. If you look at Romans chapter 3, Paul says their throat is an open grave. And by the way, Paul is just summing up the Old Testament. Their tongues, they keep deceiving. The poison of asps is under their lips whose mouth is full of cursing and bitterness, their feet are swift to shed blood. Destruction and misery are in their paths, and the, the path of peace they have not known. He's describing violent people whose lips, tongue, mouth are organs of death because of the speech that they deal in. They are liars and they are violent. Paul is describing the undoing of that orientation. To be constantly delivered over to death, that the life of Christ might be revealed, means the defeat of death through the Christian orientation to resurrection life. And Paul is here recognizing, I think, and moving beyond where the Old Testament leaves us, where Heidegger leaves us, Paul is reconnecting us to the world, to human relationships, through the power of the word, the word of the cross, through the power of life. This is the power of fellowship. This is the power of preaching. This is the power of the Holy Spirit. What is the gift of the Holy Spirit? Life. What is present in the absence of life? Death reigns. And so in contrast, a faith which is focused on penal substitution, that, that our problem is in some way in the mind of God, or deliverance from hell, all of these other things. And, you know, what is Christianity about? It's about this defeat of death, the orientation to death, that sin and death, the law of sin and death reign. And that sin is an orientation to death. We've just missed 
the basic understanding why Christ died to save us from this law of sin and death. Paul is suggesting that all of life is opened up. Why does Christ's death save? Because it undoes this orientation. So he's not denying what somebody like Heidegger might be saying. He's not denying, he's affirming, but saying, yes, that's the human situation, but we're saved from that situation. Paul is giving us an alternative. Christ's death defeats death. Just think of all the things we do in church. Baptism, you die and you're raised again. Communion is a celebration of the defeat of death through the death of Christ. The Christian life is depicted as dying and being raised, that it's a kind of continual act. What is being described is a life that continually overcomes this orientation to death. Always caring about in the body the dying of Jesus, Paul says, so that the life of Jesus may be manifested. The Christian embrace of resurrection, it's not an escape from the connection to death and language in the world. It's a challenge to it. It's an overcoming of it. It's a confrontation with it. I'm going to give you a strange illustration here. You know about the life of Helen Keller. Helen Keller is both deaf and blind. But Helen Keller, in her autobiography, pictures her entry into language. She goes out with Annie Sullivan and they go out the water well and suddenly she learns the signs and the words. She says that the living word awakened my soul gave it light, hope, joy, set it free. Suddenly the world is open to her. The first movement, you know, she describes this when she acquires language. She's seven years old. She had gotten the disease that caused her to be blind and deaf at 19 months. In her own description, living in darkness and silence, and then she begins to understand the letters being spelled out in her hand. In the story of the miracle worker, she's tearing up the dining room table because Annie Sullivan is the teacher and she's coming and she's trying to just teach her some basic things. And Annie Sullivan had given her a doll. And she goes out, it was apparently a porcelain or glass doll, and she gets so frustrated you know, Annie Sullivan, she's actually trying to spell the word doll. And she, of course, Helen Keller says, I have no idea what she was doing. And she takes that doll and she throws it down and it just breaks all over the floor. And she said, I felt delighted. It just felt so good to break that doll open. It's from this event that she goes out, her and Annie go out to the, to the water pump. She says the doll had not been special to her. She said that she really had no affections or attachment. She said, I wasn't even capable of those sorts of things. That later, and just in a few hours, she's going to experience all of these things. She says that I did not have any tenderness. I felt no sentiment. She actually describes in the autobiography, she had some dolls she would play with, and her little sister was just an infant, 
Helen liked to put her doll in the crib, but one day she felt in the crib and her sister was in there, and she just took her, took her out and flipped her out. And she said, I think I would have killed the baby, but my mother was there. And she felt no guilt. But after breaking the doll, the world is going to open up to her. She describes this period. She says, I was like a ship at sea, enclosed in a fog without means of navigation. She says there was a barrier there, something holding her entrapped. What I'm describing to you, ironically, her blind and deaf isolation, I think describes people's typical understanding of God's relationship to the world. He's apophatic. Oh, he's without emotion. He's impassive. He's immovable. He's unreachable. God might as well be deaf and blind. And typically religion, sacrificial religion, even that sometimes to describe the sacrifice of Christ, it's an attempt to penetrate some wall or barrier that we imagine marks the character of God. All we need to get is attention. We need to, in some way, satisfy him. We need to break down his empathy. We need to redirect his anger. And the presumption is that God is in his own enclosed world and that the problem lies on the side of God and that the way of breaking into this world is to somehow break down the barrier behind which he is hidden. But of course, what we see in the case of Helen Keller, the barrier is within Helen. And she describes this herself. Even in her blindness and deafness, she says, I still put up another barrier. But we often, like Helen, the, you know, the obstacle that needs to be removed, that needs to be broken down, in her own description, she's going to use language here that's very biblical. She's going to describe being delivered out of death, being delivered out of darkness. Let me quote from Helen Keller. And this, she's, this is the quote, she's just broken the doll and her and Annie are going down and to, the, to the water well. She, Annie, brought me my hat and I knew I was going out into the sunshine. This thought, if a wordless sensation may be called a thought, made me hop and skip with pleasure. We walked down the path to the well house, attracted by the fragrance of the honeysuckle. She seems to have a heightened sensitivity of, of flowers and smells. Someone was drawing water and my teacher placed my hand under the spout. As a cool stream gushed over one hand, she spelled out the word water in the other. At first slowly, then rapidly, I stood still, my whole attention fixed upon the motions of her fingers. Suddenly I felt a misty consciousness as of something forgotten, a thrill of returning thought, and somehow the mystery of language was revealed to me. I knew then that W-A-T-E-R meant the wonderful, cool something that was flowing over my hand. The living word awakened my soul, gave it light, hope, joy, set it free. 
There were barriers still, it is true, but barriers that could in time be swept away. She begins pounding the ground. She begins naming things around her. The living word, she says, awaken my soul. And so this one who is literally blind and in the darkness is enabled to see and to enter into a new freedom. And what has broken open for Helen is the wall of separation between her and reality, the world. And she literally then begins to point out, and this is Annie Sullivan's depiction of the event. I spelled water in Helen's hand. A new light came into her face. She spelled water several times. Then she dropped on the ground and asked for its name and pointed to the pump and the trellis. And suddenly turning around, she asked for my name. I spelled teacher. Within a few hours, she had added 30 words to her vocabulary. She's entered into the possibility of exchange with the world, which she compares to Israel being shown the light of God. She says it this way, I came out of Egypt and stood before Sinai, and a power divine touched my spirit and gave it sight so that I beheld many wonders. And from the sacred mountain I heard a voice which said, knowledge is love and light and vision. She compares it to the voice of God. Paul is describing a reorientation to both death and language, but there is this inherent possibility. Human language is fit for revelation, but it can be obstructed, it can be ruled by death. But what I'm claiming is that something very much like the experience of Helen Keller, an opening of a present reality that is closed off to us, is made available through the defeat of death in Christ. That the world opens up, that God's voice, we begin to hear it in the world around us. And Paul is linking the inherent possibility of this realization, you know, to, of a different reality. Now, sure, this is realized in Christ. Notice that he's connecting this to everyday life. He says that this takes place in the mortal flesh. It takes place in the feeling of being abandoned, being destroyed, even the experience of dying. That in all of these things, the life of Jesus is being revealed. As he puts it, so death works in us, but life in you. I think what Heidegger and the philosophers and the psychologists and what Paul is illustrating is there is indeed a barrier put up between this equation that Helen links language to the voice of God. The link between language and death, I think, which characterizes people, which Heidegger talks about. That he only sees the negative aspect, the absence, the negativity. And he imagines this is the final ground. Part of the problem of the Nazis, of Heidegger, of evangelical Christians, of Christian nationalists, is that they've confused life with death. They have pre presumed the strategy of gaining life is through death. 
And Christian engagement with death is aimed at defeating this thing that can have us in its grip. Death taken as life. Immortality, you know, folded into nationalism. To immortalize the tomb. In a pervasive, but I think it is the human reversal, death takes on the color of life and immortality as the human condition is not simply bent to death, but we imagine that death is in some way, or the orientation immortalizes death itself. And so the Bible calls this the covenant with death. I believe Heidegger and Hegel articulate the human condition outside of Christ. I believe they're articulating and explaining recent events in this country. Death is the reality that is left standing one way or another where Christianity fails, where death is not dethroned by Christ. A Christianity focused on the problem of God, as if God is our problem, the problem of hell, the problem of the law, which misses that the way in which the world is entangled with the orientation to sin and death. It lets that reign continue. It lets death have the last word. And it fails to enact the reign of the living word, which is Christ. And the sign that authentic Christianity has been traded for a counterfeit religion is this necessity where death reigns, violence reigns. Heidegger's philosophy, it fits national socialism. The National Socialism, the anti-Semitism, the Holocaust. Hitler needed a Heidegger. Trump is dependent on evangelicals to lend a religious aura to his violent grasping after power. Nazi Christianity, it's shown up for what it is as the religion of the Holocaust. And the storming of the barricades at the Capitol, I think, this exposure of the religion spent as it has been on the coin of the realm of deadly nationalism, it is a bankrupt religion. It's an empty word. In contrast, Helen Keller's journey from the house of language to recognition of the person and work of God all around. She's actually describing her spirit, her soul coming alive. A kind of spiritual richness. And it is a spiritual enlightenment that flows naturally from the orientation that she demonstrates that the more joyous and confident grew my sense of kinship with the rest of the world, she says. She remembers her first encounter with love. The beautiful truth burst forth upon my mind. I felt that there were invisible lines stretched between my spirit and the spirit of others. This connecting spirit of love, she connects to none other than the voice of God. Let me close with Paul's words because they sound very much like a continuation of the journey that Helen Keller describes. Verse 16, Therefore we do not lose heart, but though our outer man is decaying, yet we are inwardly being renewed day by day. Our light and momentary affliction is producing for us 
an eternal weight of glory far beyond all comparison. While we look not at the things which are seen, but at the things which are not seen, for the things which are seen are temporal, but the things which are not seen are eternal. Thank you for listening to this episode of Forging Plowshares. You can learn more and join our growing community by visiting forgingplowshares.org. Please consider supporting at patreon.com slash paulaxton or by donating at forgingplowshares.org slash donate.